We are ending a series called uh, Dream Again, and it's really sad for me because I've loved this series. It's been on my heart for really several, several months as we've prepared, and the goal of this series was very simple. It's that the people of God, the followers of Christ, would understand that they themselves have been reborn dreamers that they've been reborn dreamers and that that is God's plan for them, to have some way of having dreams for their life, having dreams for the church, and having dreams for their community. And so we started this conversation with the fact that we're all all born dreamers physically. We were all born this way. Maybe you remember it more as a child, uh, that you you had those dreams. I love the bump with the the wings and other things that you've tried and things maybe you dreamed about. Maybe it wasn't that crazy when you were a child. But something happens as you get become an adult that you sort of lose this natural instinct to dream. Dreams often get equated with, um, you know, something that's impossible or something that's improbable. And if you're a dreamer, you know, maybe you've had friends and people in your family or group, you know, work that you start dreaming and people are just like, oh, there he goes again. Maybe that's just me, but that might be you as well, right? There he goes again. Look at him, Matt, getting all crazy, you know? And, and the problem with that is that, again, we might not be natural, but because of our lives in terms of followers of Christ, we were spiritually reborn. And the fact that we were spiritually reborn, we are now born again to be dreamers. We're born again to live with hope, as we were just saying about our living hope. We're, we have this opportunity not just to be focused and fixed on the now, but we have the opportunity as followers of Christ to just really believe that anything is possible. And we're open to all the possibilities of God. And it was something that was supposed to mark the church. It was supposed to be something that actually identified the church. I read this verse over the last several weeks, so I'll read it again. This is a, a time in which Peter, uh, the disciple Peter, he is responding to this birth of the church, the birth of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And he actually quotes, and he actually brings back in quotes, uh, a, a prophecy that was written by a prophet named Joel 850 years before this moment. And so here in Acts, we read it documented, Luke documented all the acts of the apostles. And in this moment, Peter says, in the last days, which again, he's quoting Joel, Joel saying, in the last days, in the days of Christ, in the days of the Lord, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. These are things that are supposed to mark the church, mark the followers of God. We don't use some of those words, but they're very easy to understand. To, to prophesy is to see and speak truth. It's to understand that we have the mind of Christ and we have the ability to see absolute truth and to be able to speak that, right? To be able to speak that into people's lives and over people's lives. That's all it means to prophesy. It's different than the gift of prophecy. To prophesy is just to be able to see and speak the truth of God. To have visions is just to have purpose and direction. Again, that was supposed to be something that marked us, that we don't just wander aimlessly in life. We have purpose and direction in our life. And then to dream dreams, meaning that we we don't just settle for what's in front of us. We don't settle for this is as good as it gets. We actually have faith. We have hope. We have something. Again, we are open to the fact that Jesus said nothing is impossible with God. That's what we believe, to have that hope even into our old age. And then I read this uh, several weeks ago. This is, uh, I, this is from the message paraphrase of Proverbs. And you might have heard this very different ways uh, kind of growing up. But it all means the same thing. This is from Proverbs 29. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble 
all over themselves. The, uh, the King James says, without vision, the people perish, right? You may have heard that. Maybe the NIV says, if you, don't, can't, you can't see what God's doing, they wander aimlessly. People that can't see wander aimlessly. It all means the same thing, that the, that the reality is, is that if you can't see what God's doing, if you can't, if you're not really tuned into it, then you're going to miss it. And it says, but when they attend to what God reveals, they are most blessed. When they understand what God's doing, when they can see what God's doing, and they actually attend to it, they intentional, intentionally live to it, they're missional about it, they are the, actually the most blessed. They're the ones that are receiving all that God has planned for them. And so over the last, again, over the last several weeks, we've talked about uh, a couple different ways in which we want to dream again, and we want to dream again about my life. To dream again for my life is to understand that God might have a vision, a God-sized dream for your life. And again, because we've lost this ability to dream, we don't even ask God in prayer, God, what do you dream for me? What are the dreams you have for me in my life? And we talked last week about what it looks like to dream again for my church. And it's not just dreams for you, and it's not ever going to be just about you. It's going to be life-changing and life-impacting, meaning that there's going to be a way in which it might minister to the church or minister through the church or mobilize people in the church or actually uh, kind of live missionally as we live missionally together in community. What does it look like to have dream and to dream again for my church? And today I want to focus on what it looks like to dream again for my community. Say those two words with me, dream again. Say it again one more time, dream again. And that's the goal. And today we want to talk about how it works with community. Now, I want to, the way I'm going to start it off today is with a question. And this question is something that kind of, uh, kind of happened to me. I was reading a book with some friends, and it was part of, ended up being a part of a much bigger church conversation at the time. But it was over 20 years ago. Okay, this is before I was surrendered into full-time ministry. This is when I was just, you know, kind of helping out. We were helping out in the church, and, and uh, I was, listen, I mean, I just want you to know, I mean, I've, I was raised in church. I knew how to do church. I did church really well. And maybe you know how to do church. Maybe you did church, you know. Maybe that's how you did church. Or you did, you know, you know all the ways to, when you, to stand up and when to sit down. And if I said, peace be with you, you know what to say back. Say it back. And also with you. Maybe you didn't do church as well as I did, but that's okay, right? That's fine. But I did church. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, I was excellent at doing church. But then there was a question that came up, and the question really bothered me. And the question really began to change how I viewed why the church even existed. Like, what was the purpose of doing church? Was it really just for me to do church? And this is the question. I put the question in our context, in Journey's context, but this is the root of the question that came over 20 years ago. And here's the question. If Journey ceased to exist today, would our community miss us? Like, if Journey stopped, if, we, if it was over today, I just said, it's done. Don't even bother coming back. It's over. It's gone. It's forever finished. If Journey ceased to exist today, did it even matter? Would the community even miss us? Would there be a gaping hole anywhere in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our community? Would it even matter? I mean, we know that we are needed. We know that the church of God is needed. But when you start really kind of personalizing it, when you start personalizing even for yourself, hey, if you moved from out of your neighborhood, would your neighborhood care? Like, would they even care? If your small group stopped meeting, who would it affect? Nobody? If your church stopped existing, would it make a difference? 
That's the question that's kind of bothered. Again, 20 years ago, it began to bother me and began to change for me what the church meant and what the church was supposed to be and how the church was supposed to live and function. And I, you know, go to my next slide here. I want to share some stats about our community and city and country. And this is, what this, this is from the Pew Research Company. This is fairly recent, 2015. It says 65% of Americans believe the church is really irrelevant. Meaning that the church exists, the church has beliefs, the church is a religion, but they do not feel like the church, the church, has any relevance to their life right now. 65%. One out of three pastors believe that the church is losing ground and losing its voice. Meaning one-third of the pastors are actually wrestling with this problem going, I don't, everything seems to be slipping away. Everything seems to be going backwards. We are no longer the light we're called to be. We're losing our influence. We're losing our voice. Let's go to the next slide. It's a little bit more now, but out of, at this time, 170 million non-Christians in America, which makes us the third largest mission field right behind China and India. America is. It's no, it's no longer the, the source of Christianity that's going to be sent to the world. I don't even know if it really was ever truly that. But in terms of our perspe- perception, we need to understand that in terms of our country, we're the third largest mission, mission field in the world. And then we, several years ago, we sort of used those same statistics and same stats to talk about. We drew a circle around our address here at Journey. We drew a circle, and and in the radius that is Journey Church, okay, eight miles, we went eight miles every direction, we basically found out that out of all of that, in terms of our demographics, that we believe there's 89,000 unchurched people just within these eight miles. 89,000. We understand that the community and the country, and our, they, they need the church. But the question still is there. And how would you answer that question? If journey ceased to exist, would it even matter? Would it even make a difference? Now, it might make a difference to you. Okay, and I understand that. That's how, that's how we process most things in terms of uh, it might make a difference to me. It would make a difference to, you know, uh, am I getting fed? Am I, am I being ministered to? Do my kids enjoy the programs? Do my kids enjoy, uh, you know, kids and youth? Do, you know, uh, I, you know is, the, is the music my preference? Does the guy speaking put you to sleep? Which is not possible usually with me because I talk so loud. It's a gift. Okay. Most people can't sleep because of how loud I speak. But that's how we usually kind of walk through this. It's like, well, it would make a difference to me. But the question is bigger than that. Because the church really does have a purpose. It has a plan. The, 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 the church was meant to be an influence. The church was meant to make an impact. The church was meant to make a difference. And the church was uniquely created and designed to do just that. The church. I'm talking about the church. And so one of the things that comes up even when we talk about these dreams is what does, you know, we're talking about God's dreams for your life and for your church, but what does God dream for the community in the city and the country? What's God's dream for it? Have you ever wondered that? Like, you know, I'm not telling you what your dream is, but start with God. What is God's dream? Well, I'm going to take you to a passage that I love. It's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet who um, at the time he was, uh, he was alive, he was actually uh, giving uh, prophecy and, and speaking the words of God to the people of God 
after their kingdoms had fallen, after they were basically conquered, after they were exiled to live in, uh, in nations that didn't look the same and didn't value any of the things the same way and didn't serve their God. They were exiled to live in these foreign cities and foreign countries. And Jeremiah was still uh, sharing words of God with them. So if you go to Jeremiah 29, I'll put it on the screen for you if you want to look it up. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, and prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. So he's writing it to them. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He says, build homes and plan to stay. I'll be honest, this is not what they wanted to hear. Okay? And this is not what you want to hear either sometimes when you're begging God for help, when you've been conquered, when you've been, when you've been kind of cast aside. You want God to rescue you, right? You want God to redeem you and deliver you. But here's the words of God to his people. He says, no, build homes and plan to stay. He said, plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses <coughs> for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And then he says, and I want you to work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, it's interesting. If you don't know anything about Jeremiah and you're not, you know, tied into the Old Testament, that's fine. But it's very interesting. There's a very famous verse that, you know, if you've been even in cultural Christianity for any length of time, you've probably seen this verse. This verse has been on Facebook posts and memes and flowery things, and this verse is used often Okay, and, and you might see it in a, someone's uh, you know, ignature, uh, email, uh, uh, email signature, right? You, know, you, might, you might see that at the bottom of an email. I'm going to read the verse for you. It's only like three verses down from what I just read, but it's a very famous verse. And here's the verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this verse before ever in your life. Yeah, it's a famous verse, right? You may not know anything about Jeremiah. You didn't even know it was in Jeremiah, but that's where it is. I know the plans I have for you. And again, you'll see this pop up on people's uh, you know, social media, especially nowadays. You'll see people uh, make this statement very often. We attribute it oftentimes to when plans are changing, right? So sometimes you'll see it when somebody's changing jobs, or you'll see something where somebody uh, is changing career paths or starting a side hustle or, you know, uh, maybe moving. Maybe they're moving from one neighborhood or city to another. You'll see it. I've seen it used in people divorcing, right? Well, I know, well, God knows the plans he has for me. They're good and not bad. And they got a future and a hope tied to them. And I understand the big picture there, but understand this verse already has context. This verse already has context. This verse is tied to what Jeremiah just wrote all the people of Israel when he wrote the people and said, hey, God does have a plan for you. Here's the plan. And let's see what the challenge was. I want you to work for the peace and prosperity of the city where you've been exiled. I want you to pray to the Lord for it. And I want you to understand that its welfare determines your welfare. That was the plan. And so again, oftentimes we take that verse like, well, God's got a plan, and we always assume God's plans line up with our plans. 
But this is a way of understanding. This was God's plan. This was God's dreams for even a heathen nation like Babylon. We talked about it last week where I said he was raising the Babylons up. It was going to get worse before it got better. And then God says, I'm letting you be conquered. I'm letting you go into uh, Babylon through Nebuchadnezzar. But there's a plan in place. And there's a plan for you. Here's the plan. I want you to stay. I want you to multiply. And I want you to work towards the peace and prosperity of that city. I know they don't look like you and talk like you and believe like you, but I want you to be on mission for me. That was God's plan. That was, those were God's dreams for them. And I wonder sometimes if instead of using that verse that I know God's got plans for me and they're good and not bad and got a hope in a future, I wonder if maybe we began to look at the challenge itself and began to understand that God's plan for us is to do exactly that. Our God's plan, God's plan for us is to do exactly that. That God's dream, listen, God's dream for our city and our community and our country is the church. It is. It's you and it's me. It's us. And, and, and oftentimes we, we struggle because we think God's plan for the country really lines up with what they're going to do and what they're going to decide. And we kind of give that over to you know, the politicians and those in leadership and those in charge. And I'm not saying that's not important. I'm not saying you shouldn't go vote. You should definitely take advantage of the rights that you have because they are important. But listen, God's plan, God's dream and God's plan for this country all the way down to your neighborhood is not those in elected, you know, elected officials. It's us. It's you. It's me making a difference, having an impact, sharing our lives, living on mission, living intentionally, sharing the love of God. That's the plan. To help work towards the peace and prosperity. doesn't need to be financial prosperity. could be just the spiritual sense of prosperity. He wants us to work towards those things and to pray for it. Because its welfare will determine your welfare. The book that I read 20 years ago was called The Church of Irresistible Influence by Robert Lewis. And I'm going to read a quick quote to you because I do really do believe this is God's plan. Turning the face of the church outward, giving its resources away, blessing the community, unleashing the gifts of its people to serve the city, this is what our living God desires for his church. This is God's plan. This is the dream that he has. Now, if you've been a part of Journey, you've been around for a while, this isn't brand new information to you. This is not something that you're going to hear for the first time. We're not having to shift culture or shift a direction as a church. We've always lived this way. This has been a part of how we've intentionally designed our church, our programs, the things that we choose to do. have done. We do everything we can to look outside the walls of this church and know how we can serve others. It's why we do Share Hope Project. It's why we do the things that we do. Because we don't, you know, we don't, we don't just look to a verse like Jeremiah. It's all through Scripture. Here's what Jesus said. Let's go back to just, let's just focus on what Jesus' words were to us. And he says this. He says, you know, you are the salt and the light. He's talking to his people. He's talking to God, you know, the, the Lord's people. He says, you're the salt and light. And what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Why, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. 
No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No, they don't do that. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And he goes on to say, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There's a purpose in you being the salt and being the flavor and being the the part that preserves things. There's a reason that you are the light to the world. It's not to put under a basket. It's not to be self-contained. It's to give light to everyone, and that's what your good works do. That's what your good deeds do. They shine out for all the world to see, for everyone to receive the light from it. Jesus said it this way in John. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment to love each other just as I have loved you. And he was getting ready to show them just how much he loved them. He says, just as I loved you, you should love each other. And he said, "Uh, for your love or your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's going to prove to the world. It's not going to be your doctrine. It's not going to be the proper theology. It's not going to be the, 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 the excellence and the, and, and, and of your disciplines. It's not going to be exactly what you believe. These are not going to be the things that are going to make the difference, make the impact, lead this country and your city and your neighborhood with influence. It's going to be what you do. It's going to be how you love. These are the things that are going to matter. And so, guys... That's God's plan. God's plan and dream for us in terms of for the community, for our city, is the church. Is the church and using the church to be all that it needs to be. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens by us engaging our God-sized dreams. Our engagement of our God-sized dreams of our community builds bridges of absolute hope. It builds bridges of absolute hope. Whenever you have a dream for you, again, it's never going to be just about you. Whenever you have a dream for the church, it's never just going to be about it being internal for the church. All of this points to the mission. All of this points to the plan. All of this points to how God wants to use us for us to shine our light, to shine those good deeds, and to love and serve others well. And so when we engage those dreams we have, when we engage those God-sized dreams, we are actually building bridges and bridges, the reason bridges, this, this picture of bridges is really important is because there will always be a divide between the church and the world. There will always be a divide. Jesus did not come to say the divide wasn't there. He came to say, I am the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way but me. There will always be a divide between absolute truth and relative truth. There will always be a divide. But he didn't want us to use that divide for exclusion. He wanted us to use that divide and help us build bridges so that we could help people understand that there's absolute hope. And that's our job. When we engage in these God-sized dreams for our community, when we, have, when we say, God, what do you want to do in this city, in Huntersville, in Lake Norman region? How do you want to use the church? And we begin to engage in that. We are going to be building bridges. This is another, and this is just because it is, it's so easy to become an island to ourselves. And I don't know if you've ever been to a church or maybe you're coming from a church. You've had experiences in church where the church was an island. It was all about them. It was all about their needs. It was all about their culture. It was all about what they were doing. And they had no dream for the community whatsoever. They had no real desire 
to dream big and to have God-sized dreams to how they could make a difference where they were. So they weren't building any bridges. And this is another quote from the book. He says, without building bridges to the community, church life, okay, church life in time fades into isolation, an island, right? Self-congratulation. Aren't we doing a great job? Isn't our church amazing? And finally, irrelevance. Why? Because when we have the answer to life's most difficult questions, but we don't get a chance to share it with anyone, then everything that we have is irrelevant to them. Your neighbors who are not here, your friends who are not here, don't care what they're not hearing. They only care if your life looks any different than theirs. Not because you showed up for an hour somewhere that they didn't go. It has to do with how you live and your life. Because outside of that, if it's just an island to you and it's just an island of your beliefs and it's just an island of a church, then it's going to become irrelevant to anyone else. So how do we do it? This is, and this is where I want to walk us through. How do we build these bridges? Well, one of the ways I know that we build bridges in terms of our God-sized dreams for our city, for our community, is through Christ-centered community. We build bridges through Christ-centered community. Why? Because what we have is, in terms of Christ-centeredness, what we have is the answer to the hope of the world. That's what we have. But if it doesn't move beyond us, if it doesn't mobilize us, if it doesn't allow us to, to go beyond ourselves, to meet the needs, to make a difference in people's lives, then our Christ-centered community isn't really doing what Christ called us to do. Here's what Hebrews says. It says, when you gather, right, when, in terms of this is the gathering passage, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Remember those two verses from Jesus. We're going to motivate each other not just to live spiritually in our own little huddle. We're going to motivate each other towards love, as Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you, and to good works, because our good works and our good deeds are supposed to shine to men. I shared last week, uh, actually a month ago, I shared a story of, of a man that we've encountered named Brad. Bradley is his name. And I uh, shared it during one of our generosity stuff, and we were talking about generosity, and he just had a great testimony about that. But I told you I wanted to share more of his story. And so this morning, in terms of just understanding how this Christ-centered community really can make a difference, I wanted to share a little bit of a story of, of, uh, of hope builders or building hope, um, some folks in our church, and Bradley. Let's watch this together. My name's Bradley Gordon Ashton. I've always thought that sounds very regal. I've always liked my name. I met Bradley uh, several years ago. Uh, we were going to Connect Christian Church in Concord, and one of the pastors there had taken me out to Bradley's place, and he asked me if there's anything I could do. I just looked at this place and thought, wow, um, I've torn down trailers in better shape, and I didn't know what, what I could do with it. I was still sick, couldn't work, and couldn't get disability, so the money ran out. Finally, I sold my vehicles for about two years, kept the bills of power on, and then I just ran out of money. And that was the stretch where I was here with no power for a while, about nine months. Things got bad then mentally, you know. I know you're not supposed to take your own life, but I'm miserable here, you know. I'm just miserable, and nobody would know if I was gone the next day. 
You know, it's not like you say, well, think of the other people that would be hurt by the loss. It was nobody. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm cold, I'm hurting, I don't have pain medicine, I'm sick, I'm ill, had irritable bowel syndrome and, and no toilet. I mean, it was bad. The Lord told me, hang in, you know. I mean, I got the message loud and clear. And I never really, I never really asked for help. I asked for the strength to hang on, and I didn't realize that distinction until some time later. We started getting into the small groups here, and we got in with Jim and Holly's group of empty nesters, and I started explaining to them one night, um, Bradley and, and the project that I was um, ready to undertake, and they all jumped in and said, man, we've been looking for a project, um, let's do it. Why? Well, uh was so glad when Jim came and said, hey, we're going to try and fix this place up for you. And I had no idea to what extent he was talking about. We go over there and we work at Bradley's, you know, sometimes on Fridays, uh, most of the time on Saturdays. These guys have, have been great. They've just been so committed to the project. Jim's group's amazing. Uh, there's, I don't know, maybe 10 people involved and their wives. But I just couldn't believe the help that came the way it did. It's just been a huge blessing um, in my life to be able to help him, and he's just been a great inspiration to me. I just love the guy, and, and I'll do anything for him. Jim had invited me to his house for uh, this food get-together that they have once a year or twice a year. It was just wonderful. It was so good to, to be around the brotherhood and fellowship again. I went over and they had presents for me for my birthday and I couldn't believe it. Balloons and streamers and it was their party and they turned it into a, a Brad's birthday party. I, I came home with trunk loads of stuff, paper towel and, and cat food and household cleaners and, and detergent and, and uh, it helped so much because that kind of stuff you can't buy with your food card. The majority of these people had never met me. And all, oh, open arms, Brad, hey, come on in. Like when I got there, it's like they were waiting for me. I was just moved to tears. And then on the way home, Jim tells me he's taken care of this incredible, incredible crushing debt that I had that made me wonder if I was even going to be able to stay here. Now, this is the man that started off this relationship that way and has now got together a group of people that come over here every Friday or Saturday and like one guy will show up and go, oh, I, I, I bought him a water heater and someone else will come by and go, oh, we got him all these new windows and I, and I always offer to try and, you know, say, well, I can pitch in on this or that and they're like, I, it's hard, they're hard pressed to take a bottle of water from me, you know. And it's just like I could hear the Lord saying, I told you, I told you, hang in there. We've started up a, an organization called Building Hope so that when we do service projects like this, we have those resources that we can continue to do this kind of thing. I could never hope to have the type of house that I'm going to end up with. I would have thought it incredible that I'd end up with a toilet. I thought that was out of my reach. And I've got a brand new fridge. Well, I've got two refrigerators. 
just the kind of person I am, you know? You work hard, you might be the type of person that can have two refrigerators one day. I always joke that uh, that's just the way I roll. <laughs> if you work hard, you can have two fridges too. I love that. And actually, uh, well, you know, we're honored. Brad usually watches us online, usually can't leave the house, but we're so happy Bradley's here in the church today. You guys give Brad a welcome this morning. And, and to share that, listen, to share that story with you is not to give Jim or his crew a pat on the back. If you'd like to get connected with them and, then, and Building Hope, you can. We, we can get you connected. But it's not to do that because we understand that this is bigger than even our church. Like, it's bigger than just the dream that God gave Jim. It's the, bigger than the dream of mobilizing his small group. Uh, there's so many people that have reached out and helped and been a part of Bradley's story. And, uh, and the biggest thing I just want you to remember is that when it comes to really our Christ-centered community that we have, why we gather why we motivate one another to be living in that direction is because, again, and I'll, I'll just put it up here, that our community really is waiting to see if what we have is actually better than what they have. They, they just want to know. Like, is it actually, is the absolute hope that you have really better than me doing it on my own? And it's the power of our community. It's the power of God's people together living in such a way that our good deeds and our love is shining out for the world to see that makes a big difference in people's lives. Another way that we, um, we live out these God-sized dreams for our community is that we, we build bridges with gifted leaders. And this is from Peter. Peter uh, wrote this, and he said, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. He wants us to use them well to serve one another. And if you go back to even the gifted series at the beginning of the year, you know, I wanted to make sure everybody understood that the gifts that God has given you, he's given you for a purpose, on purpose and for a purpose. And one of those things is to live out and be a part of the plan and be a part of the dreams that God has for this community. And I shared some of our dreams as a church even with you last week. And, and you know, we need gifted leaders. Like we have, we have you know, dreams for our community. And that's, that's true. We need dreams for our community. That's true. We also need dream leaders. We need people that are willing to take their, their talents and their gifts and their expertise to pour into, mar- you know, we talked about it last week, marriages and parenting and some of the online resources that we want to provide in health and business and finances and, 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 and all over the place. We, we have desires to do all these things, but it doesn't happen without gifted people willing to use their gifts. And it's something that we can all do. Everybody has been gifted to be a player in this, to be a part of God's plan, to work to the peace and prosperity of our city and to pray for it and to know that its welfare is tied to our welfare. We really do, are all gifted to to be able to do this. And one of the ways, and this is just simple, but one of the ways I know we build bridges is through sacrificial giving. We build bridges through sacrificial giving. And this is another time when Peter, sorry, when Paul wrote Timothy and he was speaking specifically about how we use the tool of resources. And so uh, this is in 1 Timothy. It says, tell them, and you have to go back to verse 16 to know who the them are. It's, it's those who are rich in this present world. Tell them to use their money to do good. It says they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up treasures 
as a good foundation for their future so that they may experience true life. And maybe you've only ever heard the verses about, well, you do those things so you can store up treasures in heaven. But Paul's making sure that he tells Timothy, no, you need to tell those that are rich in this present world, those who have the ability to do more with their gifts and more with their resources. I want them to know that they're setting up a good foundation for their life to experience the trueness and fullness of life. That's what that generosity does. That's what that sacrificial giving does. And again, going back to what we said, like I've, I've beat this drum a thousand times. You know, money is such a heart issue. It's such, a, it's such an internal issue. People think it's, it's not, but it's, they, can, they can be in their Bible study and pray every day and try to do their disciplines. But when they disconnect money from the, from the surrendered heart to God, they don't understand how it affects their spiritual life because money is a spiritual issue and a heart issue. And so for us, we need to understand the dreams that God's called for, the dreams that he might give you for you and for your city and for your church, these are things that are going to require an understanding of sacrificial giving in order to build those bridges. This is how we we look at it from a church perspective, okay? Just understand, this applies to you directly as well, but just think about it from a church's perspective. Journey, our vision, this is who we are, right? We are transformed people, changing our friends' lives by absolute hope. That's who we are. That's, That's why we exist. And from there, we dream. The dreams are the what ifs, right? The dreams are open to the possibilities of God. Those are our dreams. And the budget is the fuel to the mission that is the action. And what is the mission of our church? It's to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. You might get tired of hearing us say that. But that's, that's the thing that attaches to everything that we do, to the actions that we take, to the steps that we take. But there's no doubt about it that the budget itself, that the resources itself, is the fuel. And one of the reasons that most people don't dream is because they live marginless lives. They live lives all the way to the red. They live it all the way to the max, and they have no room, no, no, no understanding financially whatsoever of what God wants to do through them and through the resources that they've been given and blessed with. And it's the same for churches. Churches can't dream either. Most churches don't dream because they're running on E all the time. Think about you. Think about your car. Okay, I know some, some, some people that like to live on E, you know, or just a little below the line, right? Y'all are laughing because you know that's you, right? Yeah, there's no dreams there. There's no, there's no big let's travel, let's go when you're, when you're living a life that's on E. And churches do the same thing. Churches are, are struggle to dream for what God might do for them and through them primarily because... They don't have that full tank. They don't have an understanding financially of how all that God has blessed them with can be used in the dreams they have for their community. They need the fuel. And that's part of how we build bridges. We build bridges when we we give things away. I mean, journey itself. Journey would never honestly have that much issues in terms of how we meet budgets and things if we never wanted to give anything away. But we've committed to give money overseas. We've committed to give money locally and to put money aside. That's what we do as a church. And we can't see any other way simply because that's how God has designed it for us to live missionally and to make sure that we're putting fuel towards those bridges to our community. Now, the only question I want to leave you with today is what are your dreams for? Lake Norman, right? What are your, what are your dreams for it? I, I can tell you, I shared some of the dreams that we have last week in terms of our church. 
They're for our church, but most of those dreams all tie to the fact that they're bridges we want to build to our community. But what are your dreams? I'd love for you to write them on the board outside and share those with others. You have no idea what dreams for the city, what dreams for the community that you have that God has not also placed on someone else. So write it on the board. Just take a moment and share those dreams. Make it something permanent. Make it something that exists when you write it out and speak it out. And then if you've never ever prayed, because that's the majority of churches, that's the majority of people in churches, they've never really thought to pray. For God, what do you, what do you dream for this community and city? Guys, I believe Journey was put here for a reason. I believe our church exists for a purpose. I believe that we are here. God's not done with us. That God's got so many possibilities of how he wants to use this church and you and me and us to build bridges of absolute hope to our community to make a difference, to have an influence, to have an impact. And all the what-ifs that fill me, all the what-ifs around those things are are, are still there. As I was thinking through it, I wrote some what-ifs down uh, about this message, and I said, you know, what if we had, right? What if we had a community that actually, you know, what if our community actually was genuinely thankful for this church? And what if city leaders valued the church's participation and friendship in civic events and charges? And what if our journey partners didn't just think about how they use their gifts and talents here, but how they could be used in our city and in our community? And what if our community began changing as a result of our church's involvement? And the, and the last line that I wrote down was this. Can you imagine the spiritual harvest that follows if all of those things were true? Can you imagine the spiritual harvest that would follow if we began to understand that we are part of God's plan to work towards that peace and prosperity of our community? That we, as we pray for it, as we, as we find ways to take how he's blessed us to bless others, that we get to experience that blessing through our city, through our community, when we begin to see the spiritual harvest come because all the bridges we continue to build. What if? Would you just have a moment of time today, whether it's today, later, now, lunch, whatever, and just begin to think, what has God given you already that is a dream for your city and your community and your neighborhood? What is it? And then would you begin to pray that God would give you opportunities and give you a way to take steps towards it? Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful for the challenge to dream again. God, even for me, just to, to continue to not get lost in the weeds of, of ministry and, and mission, but not get lost there, but really pull myself out every once in a while and just ask the what-if questions and be open to the fact that all things are possible with you, God. God, I pray today that as those watching online and those here uh, in the room today, God, that we would begin to be challenged about what dreams we do have for our community. And whether or not we really are living in Christ-centered community to, that, that could make a difference, and whether or not we're giving sacrificially, and whether or not we, we, you know, we're using our gifts and talents. And God, begin to impress on us and begin to challenge us 
to confess to you and to surrender to you all the obstacles we've placed in the way. God, I, 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 I mourn for the church that is no longer a part of your plan and your dream to make a difference in this world. And I desire, God, that this church, our church, would be one that would be at the forefront, would be one that just continues to, to, to give sacrificially and live out of our giftings and continue to build these bridges so that our community, God, if for any reason our church would not exist, our community would miss us. That there would be something that just wouldn't happen because we weren't here. God, you've, you've planted this church here on purpose for a purpose. May we be a part of your dreams and plans. And we pray all this in your power and in your name, Jesus. Amen.